0: We're continuing our series in the Book of Mark called "Follow Me," and this morning we have a guest preacher named uh, Pastor Gordon Woolard. You can give him a hand. All right, you are loved, my friend. You are loved. Um, Gordon, it, it, Gordon is one of the leaders of this church. He's also a pastor at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, and Gordon also has a history of traveling around the world to train other pastors uh, in theology in preaching. Uh, The first time I actually met Pastor Gordon was in Togo in West Africa in 2011. So Gordon is our international man of mystery. Uh, Currently, Gordon serves now with Mission of North America. It's an organization that does ministry here in this continent, working with teams who work with First Nations, uh, Native American Indians. And how long have you been doing that now? Uh, A whopping 10 months. 10 months. All right. But Gordon has a history um, just uh, him and Marilyn and their family who are here as well uh, they've been missionaries in Belgium they've done ministry in West Africa Gordon has trained pastors in the Caribbean and I want you to welcome him with a warm applause thank you thank you
1: thank you yeah and I'm, I'm glad uh, that my parents can be here today uh, visiting and then I have two daughters here and a son-in-law and three granddaughters uh, here uh, two of them are in the, in the children's work, and one is in with us today. So this is a special moment for me. And I'm going to read from the Gospel of Mark. As John said, we're studying the life of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. So I'm going to start reading in verse 1 of chapter 7. Uh, now when the Pharisees, with some scribes, had come... From Jerusalem gathered around him, that's Jesus, they observed that some of his disciples ate their meals with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees, and in fact all Jews, do not eat without carefully washing their hands, keeping the tradition of the elders. And on coming from the marketplace, they do not eat without purifying themselves. And there are many other things That they have traditionally observed the purification of cups and jugs and kettles and beds so the pharisees and scribes questioned him why do your disciples not follow the tradition of the elders but instead eat a meal with unclean hands he responded well did isaiah prophesy about you you hypocrites as is written This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines human precepts. You disregard God's commandment, but cling to human tradition. He went on to say, How how well you have set aside the commandment of God in order to uphold your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And whoever curses father or mother shall die. Yet you say, if a person says to his father or mother, any support you might have had from me is korban, that means dedicated to God, you allow him to do nothing more for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God in favor of your tradition that you have had handed on. And you do many such things. He summoned the crowd again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand nothing that enters from one from outside can defile that person. But the things that come from the outside, uh, from within, excuse me, are what defile. When he got home away from the crowds, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are even you likewise without understanding? Do you not realize that everything that goes into a person from the outside cannot defile, since it enters not the heart, but the stomach, and passes out into the latrine? Thus he declared all foods clean. But what comes out of a person, that is what defiles. From within people, from their hearts, come evil thoughts, unchastity, theft, murder, adultery, greed, Malice, deceit, licentiousness, envy, blasphemy, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from within, and they defile. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I hate it uh, when people watch me eat. And it's especially bad if they w- would be watching only to criticize my manners. Now, I wonder how Jesus' young followers felt when some big shots came from the sophisticated city of Jerusalem down to their frumpy little town in order to watch them eat. I just know I'm going to do something wrong. I just don't know what it's going to be. For our Keeping Up Appearances fans, you know the lady that lives next door to Hyacinth. Uh, and who's so nervous she doesn't even want to go for a cup of tea because she's so afraid she's going to do something wrong. Well, it didn't take long for those followers of Jesus to find out what was wrong. Aha! Gotcha! You didn't wash your hands properly. And it's your teacher's fault. He didn't train you in religious etiquette. He's letting you get away with breaking the traditions that all really loyal Jews keep. Some rabbi he is. Jesus, why don't your disciples follow the proper tradition? Now there's one thing that never works with Jesus. And that is intimidation. You want to get at me by getting at my boys? This is one fight you're going to really regret that you ever started. But you're in it now, and we're not backing out. You're going to go with me where I take you. Now, we need to get at the source of Jesus' frustration. And here are a few questions that will help. What is the fight with the Pharisees all about? And secondly, why will the experts in tradition lose this war with Jesus? And thirdly, how can you end up on God's winning side in this battle for souls? Now to start to get at an answer, let me say what Jesus is not against. Jesus is not against all traditions. Jesus is not a revolutionary who wants to overthrow customs everywhere in the name of continual newness. There are thousands of traditions throughout all cultures, all nations, traditions and customs that bind families and nations together. Traditions for weddings, traditions for meals, for singing, for taking family vacations, for dressing, on and on. Those are absolutely appropriate traditions. Even Jesus kept traditions. Um, You see him go to the wedding at Cana, and he makes wine to celebrate with the couple to show God's blessing on them. And then around the Passover, as he gathers around the table with his men, he sings with them certain psalms, starting at Psalm 118. And, and there was always followed the same tradition year in and year out. And Jesus followed that tradition. Nothing wrong with that. So why is Jesus so riled up about this hand-washing from the... The leaders. Well, he's angry because of the way they were using certain religious traditions to make God work against himself. They wanted to treat God like he had a split personality. And you say, well, no, wait a minute, that's a little bit too much. But I mean it. They wanted to split God's personality. Look at Jesus' example. Moses says, honor your father and your mother. Now, where does that come from? Ten Commandments, Commandments, exactly right. Now, how did Moses get those Ten Commandments? From God. So God shows that he is absolutely concerned for the honor of the parents. He even passes a death sentence on anyone who would curse his mother and father. Now that is absolutely clear. God doesn't change on that point. But you look at these religious hypocrites and how they've worked around God's desire. They invented a tradition that allowed them to claim that the money that they should be using to take care of their aging parents, that money has now been dedicated to God at a future time. It's not God's right here, right now, I'm pouring out the cash out of my pocket. It's a promise of dedication for the future. And because it's God's money, it's promised to Him. Well, of course God is going to say that's mine and I don't want you to give that to these aging parents that's my money that's for my temple that's for my glory now you see how they treating God like a schizophrenic the same God who says honor your father and your mother he demands that That same God, at the same time, is condoning, cursing the parents to poverty in their old age. And these guys didn't have any problem with that. We've got a God with a split personality? Okay. And Jesus says of them, you do many such things. I mean, Jesus is not pulling one weird example Out of many traditions, he's saying that they're constantly working the angles to get God to work against himself. So Jesus' fight with them is not about good traditions, but it's about them making up traditions as a way to keep living for themselves while at the same time make it look like I'm really living for God. The fight is about whether God is really impressed with those traditions or not. The fight is this. Is God really fooled by these religious traditions into thinking that we are better than we really are? And from their point of view, um, Yes, we can really pull this over on God. We can be doing some really bad stuff, but look at the way we wash our hands. Now, God ought to be really impressed with that. Well, I think you, set this, you see the scene here of why Jesus is so riled up. And I think we're ready to look at their second question. Why will these men, these tradition inventors, why are they going to lose in this argument with Jesus? Will they lose, and if we think anything the way they do, we would lose because the infinite creator God always knows what we're really like. Always. The Father knows inner hearts as well as outer performance. They also lose because Jesus has the word of God on his side in this battle. Jesus is able to go back uh, 700 years before his own life when the great prophet Isaiah wrote this people referring to people 700 years ago That were hypocritical, but also these Pharisees in his own day, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. It's empty. It's zero. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines human precepts. What is it that really impresses God? outward ceremonies of great style and elegance or hearts poured out in sincerity well you know Jesus well enough by now to know that as God's representative on earth Jesus sees right through all hypocrisy their hand washing may be elaborate it may seem to really honor God But Jesus is able to cut right into what really counts. And his question is, what is going on in their hearts? What are their real motives? Superficial. Superficial cleansing. It works well when you're dealing with a superficial understanding of your heart. If you only are a shallow person, then a little water on your skin is going to be enough. But what will go deep to clean the reality of what we are? That's where God is looking. And Jesus, just as he did not spare their feelings, these Pharisees, he does not spare our feelings. In fact, he doesn't spare anybody's feelings for our own good. And he tells the crowds, listen to me now, he tells the disciples, He tells the Pharisees. He he just tells me, telling everybody, look at what you really have to face up to when you look at your own heart. And he takes us to verses 21 and 22. Let me just reread those again. From within people, from their hearts come evil thoughts, unchastity, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, licentiousness, envy, blasphemy, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from within, and they defile. Uh, You only have to be on that list for one of them, you know. And it's not like Jesus is counting them up and saying, uh, you know you, if you get three of these man you're in trouble one of these is enough to to defile us in the presence of god um, and do you really think and did those jews leaders really think that the way you wash your hands before a meal is going to deal with the stuff that that jesus just told us that's going to really get at it Jesus says this stuff is defiling. Human relationships are defiled. But we're still, our hearts desecrate our life with God. Now, I'm going to take the time to look at all 13 of these. And then if you throw in hypocrisy earlier as 14, uh, I mean, that's a huge uh, uh, catalog but just to summarize them just to see you've got sin sins that are on the inside that can't be seen by other people things like evil thoughts and greed and envy and then you've got sin that's on the outside but that physically ruins lives and ruins relationships things like theft and murder and adultery and licentiousness and immorality And then you've got sin that's on the outside, but that psychologically ruins minds and ruins relationships. Malice, deceit, arrogance, folly, blasphemy. Jesus has totally boxed us in. Right? There's no escape. I can't escape to my inner mind. I can't become the monk who goes off and says, the best way for me to deal with my heart is to stay away from people. Then I won't physically uh, hurt them. I won't lie to anybody because I won't even be with people. I'll just cloister myself away. Wherever I go, I'm taking my heart. And so I'm boxed in. If our hearts aren't changed, we have no hope tradition is not going to help us. Tradition only deals with what goes into the body and into the mind from the outside. What is ruining us is what is coming out of our hearts. It has ruined our relationship with God, and there's no escape from this from our side of the problem, okay? Clear distinction, our side of the problem. The amazing thing about the gospel is that Jesus not only wants to box you in, Jesus boxes himself and God in. What I mean by that is God is at an impasse in his longings for us. Something has to break and only God can do something about it. See, here is God's dilemma. From the prophet Isaiah, we just learned that God actually does want your heart. You know, what Isaiah was criticizing them for was not that they were uh, worshiping, but it it was pretend worship where he really wanted their hearts. And God really wants your heart. He really wants your heartfelt worship. He loves sincere honor on your lips. But Jesus has just flattened us with the reality of our heart condition. He's just given us 14 things that slam us. Now, how dare we bring those ugly hearts before a beautiful God? And yet, that's exactly what God wants. You think you've got problems. God wants you, but unless something happens, He can't have you. Now, earlier, I criticized the experts for wanting to set God against himself. You see, the evil that they were doing was to use human tradition against God's word. But this is a different challenge. This is not God working against himself. But the challenge is, how will God welcome hearts to worship when they're so bad? Human traditions can't solve God's problem. Now what? Well, this leads to our last uh, question. How can you be on the right side in the fight for good hearts? How can you end up with God, and how is God going to end up solving his own problem? Well, at the risk of sounding like a really bad country western song, I do need to ask, who can heal this desperate heart of mine? That would make a pretty good song, wouldn't it? (laughs) But it probably would trivialize the challenge that God has. Who can heal this desperate heart of mine? Now, strictly speaking, Jesus doesn't answer that question directly in the verses that we read. But thankfully, we're not just limited to this one episode. This is a part of a total flow of, of Jesus' ministry. And so you have been learning about the life of Jesus and the gospel for weeks now as you've studied the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus has already started to give the answer to the healing of desperate hearts in his earlier teaching. Uh, for those that have you have been around for a little bit. And you can read this very quickly in the Gospel of Mark later. You've seen that he has power and authority over the demonic world. He casts out demons and is able to restore minds. And then you've seen how Jesus heals disease as a sign of the new life of his kingdom. And you've seen Jesus' control over natural forces as a sign of his lordship. And you've seen Jesus forgive sins as an act that only God can perform. Jesus is constantly showing that he is powerful enough to bring God into your life and to bring you into God's life. Now what is it that Jesus is always asking people to do to get into this good relationship with God? I'll read a few verses from, thank you. You didn't hear that, but I did, and you get A+. (laughs) Um, Going right back to the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. uh, Now after Jesus was arrested, I mean, excuse me, John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel and then in chapter 6 in verse 12 the disciples are sent out and it says they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and i can borrow a verse uh, from jesus speaking in luke chapter 5 jesus says i have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance you see the righteous with the hand-washing and the gifts to the temple, and all the promissory notes for the future, and so forth. Um, Jesus, if they're going to stay like that, I'm not calling them. But he says, I'm calling sinners, those who take their bad hearts to Jesus, and ask for help. Those are the ones that Jesus is calling. So now God is starting to solve the dilemma of getting us back to himself. It's clear what we need to do from our side. Repent and believe Jesus' words. We own up to our bad hearts. No more hiding it. No more faking God out. We own up to it. And we take them to God. And we say, Father, here we are. This is who we are. We plead for Jesus' mercy and we take it for a certainty that god wants us now that is the start but it's not the finish in fact it's a pretty long way from the finish from god's point of view but it is it is a huge start we ourselves repent but repentance doesn't solve everything St- god still has his purity dilemma you see you're changing your mind just by yourself. You're saying, "Ooh, I used to be an enemy of God. Now I don't want to be an enemy of God. Is a good thing, but it doesn't solve God's purity problem. Because you're still going to bring that impure heart. And now what God, what is God supposed to do with that? In fact, you know, it's really mercy that He would even say, in your current state, even if you wanted to, I couldn't even take you. Because if you suddenly, with unrepentance, with just a, a dead human heart, were suddenly put in front of the angels, in front of God in heaven right now, oh, you're gonna be joyful and cheerful about that? Just the pure holiness, the unimaginable purity of God would just would just destroy us. So God still has to find a way uh, to accept us even knowing who we are. Well, he has to find a way to deal with shame and guilt that is created by bad hearts. But that's exactly what God promised he would do 500 years before Jesus arrived to work it all out. Uh, another one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, a man named Ezekiel, wrote down this promise from God. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put, put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, Jesus is going to say in just a few days after the episode that we've read, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. You see, in a few months, Jesus is going to take on the punishment for the evils of our heart when he dies on the cross. God will now be able to wipe clean our behavior records, everything that's standing against us, and he's going to take Jesus' perfect heart and perfect love and perfect obedience, and he's going to put it there And he's going to declare that belongs to you. The Father will say of us, because Jesus is mine, now you are mine. And now the Spirit of Jesus can give a heart of Jesus to repenting believers. Because the Father, his justice is satisfied. God worked out his own dilemma he worked out his own dilemma at a cost to himself. Not at a cost to you. The only thing, as it's been said so many times, the only thing we bring is badness that we give up and say, we don't want that anymore. We want the purity of Jesus and that's exactly what Jesus died to provide for you. And so the welcome sign is out in front of God's house. Now, God really, really wants your heart. And the heart he wants is your new heart. Not the fake-out old heart that, you know, if I can just wash my hands the right way, if I can light the candle the right way, if I could say this prayer the right way, if I could go to a certain city on a certain day, uh, if I can just work all of this out, uh, that's the heart I would want to bring? No. God says, no, I love your new heart. And because he loves me right now and he loves you, what is it that he wants from you right now? Well, whether you have been a follower of Jesus for a long time or just want to start a new life today, we both do the same thing. We all do the same thing. And I'm going to quote again from another New Testament letter, the book of Hebrews, way towards the back of the New Testament. It tells us how to respond to God's gift. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. You are clean because of Jesus. Yes. Amen. The pure water of His life, given at the cross, has washed you and you can get close now to God for adoration, for comfort, for strength. And as a final caution though to believers in that same letter for those that now have that new heart and bring it to Jesus, the final caution of the writer is this chapter 13 verse 9, do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings, in other words weird traditions, Don't let anybody try to foist a tradition on you and say you need that tradition to make God happy. No, don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Traditions can be great. And they can be deadly. We need discernment. The bottom line is our hearts are strengthened by God's grace. His freely given love for you. It is not strengthened by the rituals that we invent. No matter how elaborate and beautiful and impressive. That is not what impresses God. So my friends whenever you feel defiled. Or have actually done a defiling act. Quickly go right to Jesus for immediate cleansing and for renewed hope. God has solved your heart problem. Would you play, pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, thank you that uh, you and your Father and the Spirit really invented, I mean, developed the, the problem for yourself um, you could have rightfully judged us and that would have been an end of it. But you said, no, I want those people. I want my children. And so thank you, Lord Jesus, that you solved your own problem at a painful way on the cross. And thank you, Father, that now we can live as your little children, uh, pure and welcoming you and welcoming each other as well. And Lord, help us to have discernment, to cherish and keep the great traditions, and let the others go. In Jesus' name, amen.